How many times have you watched that 99 prelim back? Uh, I reckon I'm up to over 100 now, I think. <laughs> I call that the most watched game of AFL, AFL football there is. Um, yep. You know, talk about grand finals and stuff like that, but that game is shown so much more than other games and anyone you speak to, whether they're Carlton, Essendon or someone else, they all know about that game and they all watch that game and I, I was here when that game was on. But yeah, it's the most, game, uh, most talked about game I've ever heard of. Sports fans and welcome to Quinny's Cult Heroes on the Ladbrokes Listen Network. Our very special guest this week, a man that played 216 wonderful games for the Carlton Football Club, was an All-Australian, a best and fairest winner, a member of the Blues Hall of Fame, but most importantly for many, kicked the winning goal in many Carlton supporters' favourite ever win. A warm welcome to Lance Whitnell. Good afternoon. How are we? Very well, thank you, Lance. We're going to have a talk about your sporting career, going back to when you were a junior days with the Blues and some of your favourite footy memories. So take us back to the early days because your dad, Graham, played 66 games for the Blues, so footy was in the blood. Certainly was, yeah. Dad played 66 games for Carlton over a 10-year period, so um, yeah, footy's always been in the blood and growing up, kicking the footy around was always a favourite sport of mine, so um yeah, when I got the opportunity, it was never never a doubt. I was always going to want to play football. Now, this podcast is going to be very good for Carlton supporters and not so good for Bombers supporters. But if you do barrack for the Blues and you want to hear one of your favourite sons, just block your ears and join us again in 10 seconds' time. Because, Lance, is it true you barrack for the Bombers as a youngster? I did barrack for the Bombers as a youngster, yes. Um, it was back 84, 85 was probably when I started realising football and uh, that's when Essendon were winning, so... I jumped on the winners, so as a lot of kids do, and yeah, I was an Essendon supporter right until I got to Carlton. How did that go down? Dad played for the Blues, and you started following your cousin going for the Bombers. Yeah, Dad wasn't too keen on it, but he wasn't really <laughs> against it either, because he was Essendon himself as uh-huh. a kid, so he sort of had a soft spot himself, but yeah, no, he, he knew that, you know, I can back for anybody I wanted, and it was Essendon. That's good. Now, from a very young age, were you an extremely talented footy player? Were you above average from day dot? Or did you get better as you got older? Uh, yeah, tough one. I, I mean, I made all the rep squads coming through. So every age, I sort of, you know, all the rep squads and, you know, representing local football and stuff like that. I represented all the squads. I represented Victoria at under 13s and then under 15s and then under 17s. So I was probably talented all the way through, but I probably feel I got better as I went on. At what age did you think I'm going to be a footballer or I'm good enough to be a footballer? Uh, I don't know. I never really thought I was going to be a, uh, going to make it, but um, the day I did get told that Carlton were interested and they were going to take me, I was, I was over the moon. I, I think I was 16-year-old playing for Victoria out at Optus Oval or Prince Park as it was back then. I got sort of told then that, you know, Carlton were keen and interested, so yeah, I was like a little kid in, in a lolly shop when I got told then. That's amazing. Can you remember some other players you were playing with at junior level that went on to play senior footy? Uh, most famous of all was Brent Harvey. We uh, Brent Harvey's six months older than myself and played a lot of junior football with him and against him. So, um, yeah, he grew up sort of playing against him. Uh, Paul LeCurier, Anthony, Anthony Rocker, all from the same sort of side of town. So, uh those guys I played a lot of junior football with and against. That's amazing. So many absolute superstars in such a – short area that grew up together and not too far away from each other and would go on to do such great things. Yeah, well, funny you say that because Kuda played for the same uh, local club as I played for and he lived 100 metres away from me. So um, we sort of knew each other before we got to, I got to Carlton and, uh, yeah, so that was that was good times. So you went to Carlton under the father-son rule and it was a 
Very good drafts. Some top liners included Nathan Brown, Byron Pickett, and Ladbroke's very own Russell Robinson. If the Blues didn't take you in the father-son rule, how high do you think you would have gone in the draft? Really good question, and I I, I don't know if I can answer that. It's uh, probably up to someone else to answer, but I did have my year that I did get drafted. I sort of That was the first year I actually played forward. I broke my leg uh, early on in the in the uh, NAB Cup or I can't remember, TAC Cup it was back in those days. Uh, broke my leg early on, came back, at, and that was as a backman, came back as a forward and um, – yeah, I had a reasonably good year as a forward. Um, yeah, but I couldn't really tell you how high I would have went. I don't know. Well, the important thing for Carlton supporters is they got their hands on you and they didn't even have to use a top draft pick to do it thanks to that father-son rule. What do you remember at going to, into Carlton for the first time? Such a famous club, a club with so much history and a father, a, a club that your father played for. Yeah, I mean, as I as touched on before, Dad did play there and I did go down there and spend time in the creche when he was playing, so I was only a little tacker. But I uh, spent a few years growing up there and um, to get there and when, when I got there, Stephen Kernahan, uh, Greg Williams, Craig Bradley, all those guys are running around and they weren't far off their peak because uh, in 95 they just come off a grand final and I got there at the end of 96, so wasn't far off it, but it was uh, yeah, pretty daunting walking in there, seeing those kind of blokes and fronting up, shaking their hands and getting out and having a kick with them. It was pretty daunting when that happened. Who was good to you? Who made you feel at home? Uh, without a doubt, Stephen Kernahan. From the day I walked in, he sort of shook my hand, grabbed me. Basically took me under his wing from day one and, you know, I love the man. I can't say a better word about the bloke. He's he's a champion. Made me feel welcome, made me feel comfortable and basically looked after me. He was basically my father at the at the footy club. Ironically, Kernahan would get injured and a lot of Carlton supporters said, oh, well, that's all right. We've got Lance to replace Kernahan. Did any pressure come with that? Because you were just instantly anointed as the replacement for one of the all-time greats at the club. Uh, yeah, I was in the right spot at the right time. Kernan did do his Achilles uh, early on. Um, no, I didn't feel any pressure. I just, at those days, I just want to get there and play footy and enjoy myself, and, and that's what I did. And I was lucky enough to uh, be thrown in, and when I got in there, I actually played okay for the first couple of games, so... Yeah, it was pretty handy. And there's no room for modesty. You did a lot better than played okay. Round one against Essendon in just under 83,000 people in attendance. Before we talk about your performance, what can you remember about the lead-up to the game and running out on the G that day? Um, the lead-up to the game was pretty funny because I had to actually get the train into the, my first game. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dad was working and uh, was getting in there a bit later and I'd play my first game. I didn't want to get in there any later than what I should have, so packed my bag put the backpack on and got the train into my first game. Went a little bit early, so I'd try and beat the crowd. And, um, yeah, so I got the train in. Uh, running out for my first game, was like I couldn't breathe. It was like 83,000 people there. And, I, you know, I thought the grandstand was going to fall down on me. The noise and just the, the atmosphere that they made, it was just unbelievable. I can't imagine someone on that train going, hang on, is, is that that bloke over there that's about to make his debut? Did anyone recognise you? Uh, I don't remember. I think I had the, the hat on, the head down, and just sort of probably looking at my phone or looking at something back in those days. But uh, no, I don't recall sort of people noticing me. Maybe a little bit after the game they might have, but that, back then I was just a, probably another passenger just getting me way in there. Now you're 17 years old. You're getting the train into the G. You're playing in front of 83,000 people, and just in case it can't get any tougher, your opponent that day, the one and only Dustin Fletcher. Yeah, Dustin Fletcher and also Dean Wallace, the scary one. So uh, <laughs> I remember that that part of it. Um, Dean Wallace, I remember him just uh, after I kicked my first or second goal, I think it was, standing on my toes. <laughs> I'm walking backwards towards the goals. He's facing me, standing on my toes, trying to push me backwards. And I actually hit the deck once and 
He stood over top of me. He goes, that's the last one you're going to get today, pal. I'm like, okay. I didn't know what to say to him or what the go was. Since welcome to AFL football. There's Dean Wallace pushing me over. Did Dustin Fletcher say anything or do anything or was he just about playing footy? Uh, Dustin was very quiet out in the ground. He just sat there playing footy and doing what he does. Um, yeah, you know, he, he didn't say a word. He left it to the other blokes. Well, Wallace was wrong because you kicked another three goals after that. You kicked four goals on debut. How confident were you that you could perform at the AFL level because you performed so well on debut? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was just sort of out there enjoying myself, um, you know, trying to work hard and do the right thing. And I was lucky enough. I had Craig, uh, Greg, Greg Williams kicking my first kick to me and uh, I just led and before I knew it the ball was on my chest and didn't even realise how it got there it went through arms and legs and everything to get to me so I had some good blokes kicking it to me so I was you know pretty confident when I led and that those blokes were going to hit me on the chest Now some players never play in front of that many people at a game 83,000 to do it on debut do you look back now and think it was the best possible thing because it just got all the fear of it out of the way and it was the best possible way to make your debut And or do you look back saying how on earth did I get through that like that I was, I will let a cat out of the bag here. I was a little bit fortunate. We played in the um, Ansett Cup, I think it was, back then in the grand final in 97. So got a little bit of a taste of a crowd before we got out there for round one. But, um, yeah, no, it was awesome to get out there and face that crowd and and know, okay, this is what it's like for a Carlton game every week and this is what it's going to be like. So used to it from day one. And you quickly cemented your place in the team. You played every game in 1998 and 1999. In 1998, you kicked eight goals against the Western Bulldogs as a 19-year-old. So you were creating history. You got the three Brownlow votes, and you were playing well in the big games. Yeah, once again, I was pretty fortunate. Um, There's some good blokes kicking the footy to me. Uh, We had a reasonably good side. Um, The ball was coming in pretty quick. Um, Yeah, just Probably got a little bit lucky, I suppose. No, there's no luck and there's no room for modesty around here, Lance. You're an absolute star. We want to hear you talk about that and pump yourself up. And the Blues supporters, they love it as well. When you're kicking the goals, that was at Princess Park that day and the atmosphere was so loud, it felt like there was three times as many people at that venue than there actually were. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt we love playing at the MCG in front of the big crowds and that, but uh, playing at Princess Park in front of our crowd, because it was you know 95% our crowd at those days at Princess Park and... Yeah, that was an awesome ground to play at and it was an awesome experience and I wish we had kept playing, could have played there a lot longer than what we did. But A lot of Blues supporters say the same thing as well. What made it so special and what made it so unique and probably what helped give the Blues an advantage at that venue? Uh, as I touched on, our, the crowd there was all our crowd. You know, 95, 95% of the crowd was Carlton. Um, it was like it was our, our dome, our place to be and any side came there, we sort of made them feel that, you know, you're coming into our place, this is where we train, this is where we play. Um, we knew the ground, knew the wind, knew all that kind of stuff. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic to play it. Now in 1999, you had a great season. You kicked 55 goals and the Blues finished sixth on the ladder. Before we get to the famous final series, that was another year where you took the next step up and the club looked like they were trending in the right direction. Yeah, we had a, yeah, we were. We were going in the right direction and um, we were, had a pretty good side that year. And once again, been in the right spot at the right time. We had some good delivery. So, um you know, had a good partnership with Aaron Hamill in the forward line. We worked pretty well together and, yeah, things just sort of looked good. Now, we look back at 1999 and we'll get to the end of it in a sec, but at the start, and I think this gets lost a little bit, that the Blues were only sixth on the ladder, not first, second or third, and that first week came up against Brisbane and lost by 73 points. Now, you played well. You kicked two goals. You got a fair bit of the pill, but unfortunately you were belted on that occasion 
What do you remember after that game and how on earth did the team turn it around? Uh, yeah, as you said, we just scraped into the finals that year and uh, went up to Brisbane and got belted. And in the end, we just said to ourselves, well, we've got nothing to lose now. Like, we're just playing with complete freedom. There's no pressure on us and that's what happened. It just clicked. We had a couple of really good weeks and it just clicked for us and uh, we played our best footy that time of year. So it was real Pretty fortunate. The week after you go on and take on the West Coast Eagles and you totally turn it on that day, you win by 54 points, you again play well, you kick two majors. All of a sudden, were you starting to feel a bit of confidence in the group because you've just come off this big win against West Coast, but what came up was the almighty juggernaut of the Bombers. Yeah, we did get a little bit of confidence out of it. Obviously, winning brings that in, but uh, as I just touched on before, we just played with complete freedom. It was like... uh, there's no pressure on us. No one has, no one expects us to win except for us guys playing and everyone was expecting us to just get belted and be out of the finals. But so we just went out there and went for it. Now, it's amazing how many Carlton supporters I speak to and they enjoyed the 1990 prelim final victory more than the 1995 premiership. You were a huge underdog that day against the Bombers. No one, and I repeat, no one, gave the Blues a chance. What was it like in the lead-up to that game where it was David versus Goliath? Yeah, the most talked-about game I've ever heard of, that game anyway. But uh, leading up to it, again, um, Essendon, without doubt, they were the best side in the competition that year. Everybody, probably even us, expecting them to win. So it was just complete freedom, get out there and run amok and see what happens, and that's what we did. We built some momentum coming into it and followed that on and just played with complete freedom. When did the confidence start to build that you might actually win the game? You weren't just going to be competitive. You weren't just going to be nuisance value. The fact that you could cause this huge upset. I think early on we were in front and gave us a little bit of momentum. I'm sort of, I think we got about three goals up at one stage and, uh, you know, that's when we had some belief. Uh, we knew Essendon were a little bit shaky at that time. We could hear them and out in the ground, they were sort of getting into each other and they just expected to come out and win that game and walk away, get into grand final and, you could just hear some disbelief coming amongst their group that, you know, Carlton are here and we haven't showed up. They're under pressure and starting to build for them. And as you said, you guys had nothing to lose. Now we go to that famous final quarter, so many momentum swings. It was an amazing game of footy. And you take a mark on the boundary just inside 50 metres out. 60 metres, wasn't it? 70 into the wind. <laughs> you slot it right through the middle. You're third for the day. It turns out to be the winning goal and you turn and celebrate to the MCC fans. What was that celebration all about? Oh, I've got to, got to admit, that was one of the best feelings I've ever had, football, life in general, at, at that time. And, uh, yeah, I was just, at the, at the time, I wasn't sure if I could make the distance. Um, in my mind, Kudo was absolutely on fire and marking everything. I was waiting for him to get to the goal square in case I couldn't make the distance, hoping that if I didn't, Kudo would come to the rescue like he had for that game and just mark it. Hit the sweet spot and uh, I think I got the right wind from the right pocket at the uh, MCG and it just sailed through and, yeah, just turned to the members and um, celebrated and it was just, yeah, such an awesome feeling. And then not too long after that, the final siren went. The Blues won by a point, caused one of the most famous upsets in the history of footy. What was it like at the final moments when you're all coming together and singing the song after the game? Oh, a couple of minutes before that, when Fraser Brown laid that tackle, that was just enormous. And we knew on the bench, or well, the people on the bench were yelling out sort of how long left. They knew how long left. We knew once Fraser Brown had made that tackle and we turned that ball over and we got the ball in our hands, we we knew it was ours to lose. Uh, we had to do something really silly to um, to lose it from there. And when that siren went, it was like we won the grand final. Blokes were running on the ground celebrating. 
hands in the air, we're jumping on everybody. I think I ended up with a cut lip out of that celebration because <laughs> someone came over the top and headbutted me. So I was uh, walking off the ground then with a blood lip celebrating. So, it was, yeah, that was a good feeling. Absolutely sensational. And what about that night where you're just sitting around going, we can't believe we've done this, what an achievement, what an effort? Because as you said, it probably felt like you'd won a premiership that night. Uh, it certainly did, and uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll let it out. Uh, that night we celebrated like we won a grand final. Uh, back in those days we went out a few beers at the pub and after the pub it kicked on to a little bit longer and I think it was about 10 of us at a, at a nightclub, in a prestige nightclub in the city when they actually closed the doors and kicked us out when it was a bit uh, daylight. So, yeah, we celebrated like we'd won it, but um, certainly got back into action a couple of days later. But, yeah, we, we had some fun. It was, it was uh, really enjoyable. And all of a sudden the momentum was building for Carlton. Unfortunately, though, you had to play again the next week and had to play against an almighty team in North Melbourne. During the course of the week, I remember going to the parade and it felt like the Carlton supporters were just delirious to be there. And the North Melbourne supporters, they were biting their nails thinking, if we don't win this, it's total failure after losing the grand final the week before. Did you guys embrace that, that it was fun that you were there? And in hindsight, do you wish you'd almost taken the approach that, nope, we've got to knuckle down again? Yeah, sort of, certainly at the time, we just, you know, we were probably still thinking about the prelim final. We just won. Uh, we're in the parade and we probably, in hindsight, we probably should have um, thought we were a really good chance. But for the whole final series, we didn't think we were a chance at all. So we were just out there playing and, you know, just enjoying ourselves. And that's what we did. And we got the wins from that. And we probably took that into the grand final. Um, yeah, we sort of, we didn't start too well in the grand final. North sort of got away from us a little bit early and we were always chasing tail from there. And that was it. Now you played well again in the grand final. You kicked another two goals. You had an amazing final series. You kicked two goals, two goals, three goals, and two goals. So for a four to do that week in, week out against the best fullback each team was playing up against you, it must've been pretty rewarding in just the early days of your career to do that when it mattered the most? Uh, we always want to play good in final series and uh, I pride myself on playing good in the big games and well, you know, try and get the best out of myself come the big games and uh, I was probably fortunate enough I'd done that on a few times but you know, you always want those wins though. Now, no doubt losing grand finals hurt but at the end of 99, did you walk away and was the message from the club a very positive one because you'd come so far you looked absolutely dead and buried after week one of the finals, and then a few weeks later you were playing in the grand final. So was it a positive message going into the off-season? Yeah, it certainly was. 99, sort of at the end of it, once we'd lost the grand final, reflected on it all. We're thinking next year's our year. Yep. You know, we can uh, really build off that 99. We've had fun. We've enjoyed ourselves. We've got a good team. Um, we can really make something of this now, and um, that's the approach we took into 2000. And 2000 was a very successful year for both you personally and the club. We'll talk about Lance first, kicking 70 goals, making the All-Australian side, and kicking nine goals in the sunshine at the Gabba against the Brisbane Lions. That was one day where you could do no wrong. You were kicking them from everywhere that day. Yeah, I do remember that day. It's, it was a bit of a lead-up to that game. Um, we were in some good form. I was in some decent form coming into that game myself, and uh, I don't know how it happened or what, but it made headlines here in the, our local paper or the, the main paper, the Herald Sun, that uh, Jared Malloy, he wants to play on me. He wants – I was I was his target. So um, he was playing reasonably good football for Brisbane at the time. He was playing in the back line and it, it was a big headline and I think all the Carlton guys, all the boys put it up in the rooms during the week. So I sort of – I was really focused and really keen to, you know, have a big game that one because it, it sort of – I was the headline coming into it where an opposition player wanted to play on me and – yeah, they made some big news out of it. It's not something we normally see in the AFL, and I wish people showed a bit more personality sometimes, but the fact that Malloy made those comments, it was almost like a boxer calling out another boxer, 
and it really got you going for the day. That's exactly what it felt like, yeah. And then, um, the, the Herald Sun ran with it and made it a big headline. We ran with it at the club. So all the boys stuck it up around the rooms and everywhere I walked, there was just, Malloy wants Whitnall, Malloy wants Whitnall. And I'm like, okay, I'm, let's go. Did you say anything to him on the field that day? Uh, I might have said something cheeky to him a bit later on when he got moved off me after about the sixth, but uh, no, I was trying to keep it a little bit quiet. Now, that day and your career in general, one of your absolute strengths was your goal kicking. It's something that so many of the leading forwards struggle with at the moment. Why are they so bad when it matters in front of the big sticks? Oh, it's a frustrating point at the moment, but uh, I think it's got a lot to do with their head. You know, I think at the moment they're a bit confused, sort of which way they want to do it, how they're going to do it. Probably got too many people telling them how to do it instead of sort of focusing on their own way to do it and getting better at that. They're probably listening to six, seven different people, I suppose. But uh, it is a bit frustrating, but uh, I would have thought that's one skill that would have got better over the years. Did you overthink it or did you keep it very, very simple when you were going back to kick for goal? Um, I noticed that sometimes when I was missing, I was overthinking it. So I just tried to scale it all back, um, get to my routine, focus on my routine and yeah, trying to nail the routine that I wanted to do. Now, at the end of the year, the Blues go into the finals with a lot of momentum. A lot of people think after losing the grand final last year, you're going to go one better this time round. Week one of the finals, though, you come up against a young Melbourne team that probably snuck under the radar a little bit until then. They get the job done and knock off the Blues. Week two, you beat Brisbane and you set up another prelim with the Bombers. Now, I think it's safe to say the Bombers were probably a bit stronger than 12 months ago. Did you guys go into that saying, we did it last year, we can do it again? Was there a very positive feel in the group or did you sense that this time was going to be a bit of a tougher assignment? Uh, we knew that, you know, Essendon were sort of weren't going to sit down and take it lightly like they did probably in 99 a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we had a few injuries going into that game as well. And once again, we we didn't know if we were a chance or what the story was there. We just thought we'd go out there and try and have a crack. But, uh yeah, it didn't work out that way. So it was a you know tough ending to the season. Tough ending to the season. Personally, on reflection, do you think that was the best year you ever played? Yeah, that or I think 2001, I was pretty good again. Um, yeah, probably the 2000 season was probably the best season I reckon I had, yeah. Probably a little bit more consistent in 2001 without the highlights, yep. but, but I was consistent in 2001, so... Now, at the end of 2000, on the back of losing that prelim to the Bombers, again, what's the message like in the off-season? Is it as positive 12 months ago or is this time around a few messages like, we've got to sort this out, we've got to do this? No, we always had belief. I mean, we had some good sides, good players in there and, you know, um, we we weren't too old at that stage. We weren't too young. We, were pretty, we had the right mixture. So we we're, we're pretty confident going into pre-season. We put in the hard yards again. We're going to be up there and, you know, in hindsight, we probably thought it was going to happen a bit easier. You know, like you think back now, oh, we're going to make another prelim, we're going to make another grand final. It doesn't always happen like that way. And, um, yeah, so. And in 2001, you did get back to the finals. The Blues had another successful season and you came up against Richmond and that was a very eerie day. It was just days after the September 11 terrorist attacks and I've never seen the MCG so big get so quiet. It was a funny feel that day. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, it's um, you're right. Um, at the time, you just thought it was just another day, but yeah, looking back now, it, it was pretty eerie and pretty quiet. Yeah, and it was a tough day for the Blues. Unfortunately, one of your absolute superstars had a terrible injury, Anthony Kudafides, and the Blues were unfortunately defeated that day to the Tigers that went on to make the prelim. Yeah, that was a shattering day to see uh, Kuda do that go down that way, and uh, 
you know, to finish his season that way was a uh, was yeah pretty shattering, and I think the boys were pretty pretty down in the dumps that night. Now, from a team perspective, not you personally and not your form, but if you look at your career, it's almost like that day. Previously, the Blues were very strong, and from that day onwards, it was a bit of a struggle. Did you feel at the time that it might have been a bit of a bridge where the team was going to be in a little bit of trouble going forward? Um, no, at the time, I don't think of that, but probably probably looking back now, it is. yeah, it's it's a bit like that. But no, at the time, I was just thinking we're going to get back there again. We'll get some uh, get some draft picks, and we'll get back up there again, and we'll recruit back those days. But yeah, no, it's a little bit different. It was a bit different, and unfortunately from the next year, it was five years of the Blues finishing bottom or second bottom. So it went from being a club that was competing in grand finals, competing for premierships, making finals, making the prelim too. It got very, very tough very, very quickly, and unfortunately it got very hard for them to get back because of the salary cap punishments that came not long after. Yeah, yeah. We, we got a – I think it was 2002 or towards the end of 2001, we got a heap of injuries. And that carried into our season, and our season wasn't great at all. And I think it was—I can't remember now—but 2003, I think, it was the salary cap issues, and you know, that put a real, real damper on us because we had sort of just been up there, been going good, lost a few older players, retired. We had to rebuild, but we couldn't do it because there was no draft picks, and yeah, that made it real tough that those days. And you look back, and you almost look back and say, how on earth were the Blues so competitive? with what you got dealt as a result of these punishments. And I'll prick people's memories again. Sorry, Blues supporters. Just tune out for five seconds if you don't want this read out. Stripped of picks 1, 2, 31 and 34 in 2002 and a first and second round pick in 2003. So as you alluded to, the club was decimated with an ageing list and needed to put some young talent back in and you had that stripped out as well. How hard was it for those pre-seasons when, as opposed to just four years earlier, you're coming off playing in grand finals, playing in prelim finals, thinking, that's okay, we'll be back, to this year going, no matter how hard we train, we're cactus and it's going to be very hard no matter what. Yeah, I mean, you don't think of it those days, but, you know, that you're not going to be a chance. You always think you're a chance and you're going to be putting in, but... Yeah, it was uh, really difficult those days, playing with sort of a list where it's made up of guys that have been to other clubs and probably hadn't played great footy at other clubs but needed a second opportunity. So Carlton had to give it to them those days and, you know, we played a, a lot of games with with sides that are guys that were probably injured or not quite ready to play or, you know, past their use-by date. So, you know, it was, it was tough times but we just had to – put our head down and work hard, but, yeah, it was really hard. Now, it coincided with Dennis Pagan coming to the club. What do you recall about meeting Dennis for the first time and how did you and him get along from day dot? Um, Dennis, when I met Dennis the first time, I'm thinking, how good's this? You know, I've got the super coach coming over from North Melbourne. North Melbourne have been awesome for over several years. I was thinking he's going to help us get us out of this. Um, got a really good relationship with Dennis. He was a great fella, great bloke. Um, yeah, we... we we got on really well and, uh, yeah, worked together really good at the time. It was just really difficult circumstances. Yeah, so I think throughout this period, and this is what endears you to a lot of Carlton supporters, the team was really struggling, but there were a few highlights. One was Favola and one was Whitnell. And I think when the team's really battling, the fans latch onto the players that are doing really well. And do you think that is why you're especially popular with Blues supporters, that you stuck it out through these tough times? Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Just, you know, when it was tough, we didn't go running ourselves. We, you know, got in there, stayed there, got behind the club and uh, tried to help them out as best we could at the time. And, um, yeah, as I said, it was really tough circumstances, but 
I just wanted to get in and do what I could and help out the club. And, yeah, we had some shining lights coming through. Um, and that was the pleasing part is that we've got some young kids coming through. We've got, you know, we've got, we have got a chance to rebuild. It's going to take some work, but we have got a chance because there is some you know, shining lights there. But it's un- unfortunately, those shining lights didn't shine too long for too too long of a time. Now, up until two thousand and one, the Blues were almost expected to win each and every week. So you almost took the wins for granted. After that period where it was so challenging, you probably cherish the wins a little bit more. Are there one or two that stand out in your mind where you caused upsets and you weren't expected to win and you thought, geez, that was a satisfying victory? Oh, thinking back now, there's no real certain game, but it's just, you know, certain stages, you know, when we're struggling, we're just like, let's, you know, win two out of the next four. Let's have little wins. So that's what we sort of focused on. It was just trying to get those little wins along the way, but I can't recall any certain game or anything like that that made us say, yeah, you know, this is, we're back, but. Just had to keep working hard. Now, in 2005, you came back in what you described as the best shape you've ever been in your career, and the Blues moved you from playing forward to playing back. What led to that change, which also coincided in another chapter of your career where you went from being a key forward to a top-class defender? Yeah, it was an interesting one because I, I was just coming back from an injury, and um, at the time, Favola was our key forward, and he was you know on fire and dominating. So uh, when I had to come back from the injury, it was sort of – and I brought it up myself. I got drafted as a, a backman. So and I was all Australian, sent half back or back pocket in the under-18s. So coming back from the injury, Favola was flying, and I'm like, oh, let's have a go at the other end and see if I can uh, play there where I was actually got drafted to play. And um turned out, actually, in my own personal thing, it, it worked out pretty well because I won a best and fairest in 2006 playing as a sent half back. So I really enjoyed that. How different is it playing forward to playing back? What are some of the skills you've really got to sharpen if you're in defence? Oh, I reckon playing centre-half back is the easiest position on the ground, to be honest, and it's hard because oh, the centre-half forward is the harder position on the ground. Yep. Centre-half back, you, you can sort of watch and pick and choose where you go and where you don't go. Centre-half forward, you've just got to do all the grunt work and all the hard work, but as a backman, you just watch your opponent. If he's going to the wrong spot, just run another spot. Now, playing with Fev, as I mentioned before, the performances of you – and for Vola, during some dark times for Carlton, were a real positive for the fans, and that's why you're both so loved by the supporters. What was your relationship like with Big Fev? Oh, he was awesome. And at, at the time, you know, he's I trust him with my kids, but I had at the time, and uh, he was a great bloke. Just one of those blokes that just, when he had a beer, he just wanted the, wanted the attention on him. But so <laughs> uh, he had a good time, but on the field, mate, he was, he was a, he's a legend. So um, we, had a, we had a good time. And like you, just a brilliant kick at goal. Oh, he's... Ten times better than I was, but um, he's one of the best kicks for goals I've seen. Yes, yeah, uh, and the crowd when he was having a big day would lift as well. Could you feel that when you were playing playing alongside him? Yeah, you could feel that even when he walked in the doors at training. He just attracts attention, attracts everybody to him, and uh, that's the type of bloke he was. And once he got going and the crowd got behind us, it, it was an awesome feeling. But he had plenty of opportunities where he did get the crowd behind him, that's for sure. What's your favourite Fev story? Oh, probably not for radio. But probably keep it off the radio. <laughs> I'll reword it. What's your favourite G-rated Fev yeah, story? There was a few early early days where you know Fev got in trouble for and made the headlines, and um, oh, probably don't want to bring it up too much. But his first or second year, he got pre-season, got in trouble, and got sat down and got told, you know, this is not on. But it's a couple of funny stories there. But I, I don't think I can put them out on the radio. <laughs> don't want to get him upset, do we? The big Fev. <laughs> Now, you personally, you said that that was the best shape you've ever been in coming back for 2005, ironically on the back of a knee injury. 
What did you adjust with your life to get yourself in such elite fitness? Oh, just what I was doing outside of football. Um, by then, I'd, I'd had two kids and, uh, you know, they, they were my priority and your life just changes when you have kids. Um, you got to be more responsible, more of an adult and look after them. So when you're trying to look after them, obviously looking after yourself at the same time. So that's just life changes. That was all it was. Now, you mentioned the fact that you had a year where you won the Carlton Best and Fairest as well, playing off defence. The Best and Fairest, it's an award and no one plays footy for awards. But how rewarding is it when you go into those club rooms now and forever your name is up there with all those Carlton greats who's won the Best and Fairest? Yeah, it is. You're right. It's not something you play for at the time, but uh, the longer you're away from the game and uh, the more status that holds in your own uh, personal thing. Uh, now, you know, to walk down the street or to speak to them in the shops and say you're a Carlton Best and Ferris winner, not everyone can do it. Uh, there's only a handful, or I don't know exactly how many, but there's not many that have done it. So, yeah, to have that up your sleeve is, um, yeah, it's pretty rewarding. And after winning the John Nichols Medal for the Carlton Best and Ferris, you were awarded the Carlton Captaincy. How did that come about? And again, is that something that you appreciate more with hindsight or at the moment were you absolutely buzzing that you'd been given such an honour? Oh, there's no doubt at the time I was absolutely buzzing and, you know, cherished the moment because there'd been some uh, Carlton legends that had got their name as captain and to get your name as captain was, it was, uh, at the time I was like a bit shocked and I couldn't believe that my name was going to be put next to some other guys that had been captain. So it really enjoyed it at the time, but it is, as you get older again, it's something you can say, oh, well, not many of us have done it. So, yeah, it is pretty rewarding. The more you get, the older you get. Now, if there's two things that, without being negative, the two negatives with your career would probably be the Blues' lack of success in the second half of your career and your knee injuries. Unfortunately, once they started, you just couldn't shake them. Yeah. Firstly, how are your knees now? Do you still have pain and discomfort? Yeah, pretty pretty ratchet at the moment, my knees. Uh, I'm sort of in line at the moment to get a knee replacement. Just got to uh, wait wait as long as I possibly can. They reckon I'm too young to get a new replacement. So, but I have been told that eventually I'm, I will be getting one. So, so you get pain daily still from your knees. Oh yeah, I'm actually going in for some surgery in a couple of weeks. Okay, so oh, yeah. it's one of those things that unfortunately. So when was the first time you hurt your knee? Can you remember how and when that happened? Yeah, it was. I reckon it was. I mean. I hurt my knee in 2004, done a medial ligament, which set me out for a couple of weeks, but that was all repaired and all good. But pre-season 2007, uh, I just felt some really sharp pain in my knee and I couldn't do much of the pre-season. It was just, uh, turned out I got bone on bone, just grinding away. And back then, yeah, I was sort of in a lot of pain and it was just every time I'd run, contact on the ground, there'd be uh, some pain. And now that refers to now when I walk. But yeah, back 2007 pre-season, I really couldn't do much of it at all. And unfortunately, it brought about the end of your career very, very suddenly. Now, when you and Carlton sat down and it was decided they would not give you another contract and that was the end, were you upset or were you almost accepting because you knew it was the fact your knees had just let you down? Uh, at the time, always upset. Yeah, yep. No one wanted to sort of finish uh, with an injury or you know not to be given another go because of an injury, but... In my mind, at the time, I thought I had more left in me and I could get past the injury and I could get out there and train. In hindsight, it's probably six months later, oh, I could, you know, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't walk and I sort of could see, oh, that's why Carlton sort of went down the path and sort of didn't give me another contract because they could see it wasn't going to get any better. And yeah, it took me a little while to adjust. Um, sort of, yeah, I didn't want to finish the way I did, but at the time I was pretty upset and wanted to keep playing. Realised later, 
in hindsight, it's the right move. So you played 216 games for the Blues. What are some of your highlights? Uh, already touched on the 99 prelim. That's without a doubt. Uh, it was another game against Collingwood. I really enjoyed. I sort of took a record 18 marks for myself and uh, really enjoyed that game. But just enjoyed the whole club in itself. It was uh, it's a fantastic footy club. Um, rich in heritage, heritage over the years. You know, it's got the record of probably the best club in the AFL. I reckon. Um, just really enjoyed it. Footy trips. How many of them did you attend? I was one that missed a lot of footy trips. I, I think. Out of the 10 or 11 seasons I was there, I only went on two or three, I think. I was always one that always had to get an operation or, you know, had to get some clean out or something at the end of the year. So I remember one going to um, Cancun. That, that was, yeah, that was a pretty amazing footy trip. There's some uh, good things happen over there. How did young Lance go over in Mexico? <laughs> well, it was funny. I went there as a redhead or a blonde, I think I was back then, <laughs> bleached blonde, but I'd come home black, black hair. So, um, <laughs> I ended up one day in the in the barbers and asked for a bleach black, <laughs> bleach black hair. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I think it was a bit of a fun. We were all around the bar having a drink and I disappeared for about an hour and come back. Sat there for about 10, 15 minutes without anybody realising who I was and, that, yeah, that was a bit of fun. You probably should have tried that more so you didn't get mobbed when you were back in Melbourne for autographs. Yeah, yeah, the black hair, black hair, white eyebrows, that didn't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned you were disappointed with how suddenly your career ended. Are you glad in hindsight that you didn't spend a year with another club when you were probably not able to do it physically so you could look back and say you were a one-club player? Well, that in the end, when I sort of when Carlton told me they weren't going to go with me for next year, at the time, I wanted to keep playing. So I was fishing around, sussing around. Um, had to get all medicals done for my knee, sort of go through all that process. And then in hindsight, when that didn't happen... I was sort of really glad that I was only a one-club player. Yep. Um, yes, I wanted to try and keep playing because everyone wants to keep playing at the time, but as the dust settled, I was, you know, really proud and really glad that I didn't try and pursue that even harder and um, stayed as a one-club player. Now, since you've retired from the AFL, you did continue to play footy, just not at AFL level. We'll talk about that in just a second. Simplistic question, how different is it on your body playing AFL footy compared to local footy? Oh, local footy, you're pretty much just fronting up on a Saturday and, and playing. So it's hard on that day, but it, during the week, you're not sort of you're not bashing around your body. You don't have to don't have to do a lot of training. AFL, you're you're doing something every day, whether it's on your legs, whether it's you know in the pool or in the gym. So yeah, it was. I got through it okay in the local footy, but it's yeah, it's never as hard as on your body when you're playing local footy because you're not doing all the you know, all the work and putting your body through it. Well, it takes a lot longer to, to uh, recover. What about the knees, though? Is the pain any different or nullified if you have to do less during the week or less on game day, or are your knees just going to be buggered no matter what you do the yeah, next day? No matter what I do, it's they're going to be buggered. Yeah. That's the way it is. So I can't rest. If, if I rest them, they'll actually get sore. Um, so if I keep active on them, they're still sore, but, yeah, the less I do, the probably the worse they get. You had a wonderful career. You're loved by Carlton supporters. You're a best and fairest winner, an All-Australian. You played in a grand final. Do you look back with any frustration that your career was cut short because of injury? Oh, there's no doubt. Injury does frustrate you, and yeah, you do get frustrated. I had a pretty good run for the first seven or eight seasons of mine. I was pretty much straight through without missing too many games or, you know, not many at all, but the injuries got me at the end. And, yeah, it is frustrating, but it's uh, look back now, it's part of it part of the game and you people do get injuries and finish with injuries but at the time you just like it is frustrating and 
you know, why me? Why me? But yeah, it's all part of it. Now, Carlton hasn't had the on-field successes they would have liked since that 95 flag, but they've got a wonderful and passionate and loyal supporter base. Do you still feel the adulation from the fans whenever you go anywhere? Do you love running into the supporters and they just want to talk and reminisce about those glory days? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, that you just want to talk about the good days and uh, you see some people, that the smiles that you've put on their faces from when, when you were playing and how much they appreciated you out there, It's it's that's a good feeling. How many times have you watched that 99 prelim back? Uh, I reckon I'm up to over 100 now, I think. <laughs> It's, a, amount, it's, it's, it's always on. Like the amount of times I find myself accidentally watching it because it just comes on and it's just incredible still. I call that the most watched game of AFL, AFL football there is. Um, yep. You know, talk about grand finals and stuff like that, but that game is shown so much more than other games and anyone you speak to, whether they're Carlton, Essendon or someone else, they all know about that game and they all watch that game and I, I was here when that game was on. But yeah, it's the most game, uh, most talked about game I've ever heard of. And an amazing legacy for you to leave, and you wouldn't have known it at the time, but you kicked the winning goal in, as we've described, the most famous game of footy either of us have seen. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome feeling. And uh, I think, as I said, the story's now out to about 70 metres that I kicked that. So <laughs> Into the wind. Into the wind. There's a <laughs> swirling breeze at the MCG, but no, that was good. Now, after you finished playing AFL footy, you continued to play footy. Tell us about that journey and some of the clubs that you've played for. Yeah, I went straight out of uh, AFL football. I went back to my local club where I played all my juniors and uh, it was at Laylor. So I spent some time out there and I, I think throughout my playing days, I was always back at that club. Uh, my family were involved at the club, so I was always going to go back and play some sort of football there. Uh, I got back there and, yeah, I played two seasons. So, um, yeah, that was fun and played with a lot of my mates that I sort of grew up with. They were still playing, so really enjoyed that. Um, done that for a couple of years and then um, – I went up to Craigieburn and played up at Craigieburn, moved the house up there, so I was living up there, so played with them and then uh, took up coaching. I started coaching, and uh, Glenroy, started coaching Glenroy, coached them for four years, had a bit of fun, uh, yeah, that was good, and then went back and coached Craigieburn again. How do you go coaching when you're trying to explain something to a player and they're trying to do it, but they're just not capable of doing it? Is it hard for very talented players like yourself to get the message across and accept that they... Can't do it. It's just not through a lack of trying. Oh uh, well, that's where I sort of took my the way I took my coaching is that um, I'm not going to expect them to do anything that I couldn't do, but I can't expect them to do what I did do as yep. well. The same, the same thing. So I tried to coach at their level or just above their level, bring them up to to that level, and then sort of go again. I didn't, yeah, didn't really set them too high expectations, and you know, I knew what limits where I was at and what I was who I was coaching. So. I tried not to um, think that I was sort of still involved in AFL football and these guys can do what we did at AFL football. So that's that was the way I took up my coaching. What's the best thing about coaching? Uh, winning a premiership. Yep. Um, I won a premiership. That was awesome as a coach. But um, just seeing guys, you, you put time and effort into them coming out and showing it and then being a better player and a better person for it. That was a really buzz I got out of coaching is that, you know, putting the effort into young blokes or older blokes, doesn't matter what age, but – Putting some time and effort into it and then seeing that reward for them, that was the good feeling I got out of coaching. What's the worst or hardest thing about coaching? Uh, probably supporters, um, yep. even local supporters, just expecting uh, expecting probably the world and when it doesn't happen, they sort of, you know, they, they get into you a little bit as well. But um, at local, local level, uh, people are passionate and they love their footy just as much as they do the AFL. So they take it pretty seriously and, they, you know, they get involved and they, they let you know 
with what they think. So that was the hardest part. Just adjusting to that. What's next for Lance Whitnell? Uh, just taking a break from coaching at the moment. I've got a young son that's playing football. So at the moment, just uh, going to watch him for a year or two and then I'll probably get back into coaching at some stage. But right now I'm enjoying watching my son play. How old's he? Uh, just turned 20. Just turned 20. Just nice. turned 20, yeah. So he's doing some training at Carlton VFL, but playing local footy if he doesn't play VFL. Nice. And he keeps an eye on the Blues? Yeah, he's mad Blues. Yeah, he's mad about the Blues. He's going to all the games, goes to as much as he can. Loves training down there. Loves the guys. So, yeah, he's pretty passionate. Now, speaking of supporting the Blues, how challenging has that been in recent years for you? Yes, it's been uh, been a bit of an up and down uh, roller coaster ride, really. it's uh, You just think... They're coming, they're not there. Then you think they're coming again, they're not there. It's been uh, pretty interesting. For a couple of years there, I sort of dropped off a little bit and didn't follow them. That was sort of when I was coming to grips of getting back into local footy and that, but back into it now. I love watching them now and, yeah, just love seeing how they go about it. So it just took a couple of years for you to take a deep breath after your career at Carlton ended before you really embraced yourself with the club again emotionally. Yeah, yeah, once I sort of – Got out of the AFL system as you know, as the last thing I probably wanted to think about it was AFL football again. I just wanted to time away from it and a bit of a break. And took a year or two where I just didn't go to any football at all in terms of the AFL and just focused on local footy. But yeah, after now I really love it. I love going there, watching them. I'll, I'll go to any games now, whether it's uh, Carlton, any teams to go and watch. And I'm sure plenty of Blues supporters love seeing you at the games. Now we've loved having a chat, Lance. We're going to finish with two very hard hitting questions. Geez, you look nervous. <laughs> Best spray you've ever heard. Uh, David Parkin. David Parkin, uh, I got him at the end of his career and he was sort of mellowing out a little bit, but geez, he can give a, a good spray. And once he did, the vein was going, <laughs> the, the hands were going. You could see the blood pressure coming up and yeah, he was he was pretty good at it too. Were you ever on the end of it? A couple of times, yeah, a couple Any, of times. Anything specific you did to get him upset? No, no, never anything specific, but uh, it's always, there was always something that he'd uh, fire up about and um, he'd let you know about it. Best sledge you ever heard on the footy field? Yeah, I've been asked this question a few times. I can't really recall any major ones. You always had them, but there's nothing that really stood out and saying, oh, I can remember that. But uh, over in uh, South Australia, they were always good. The crowd mm. over in South Australia, they, they always they always let you know what was going on. Um, they let out some good ones, but yeah, nothing really that I can remember in terms of what they were. But every time I knew going to Adelaide that they were gonna, the crowd were always going to be on top of you. You spoke about how positive it was playing at Princess Park in front of the Carlton supporters. You could almost just flip that playing at Footy Park in front of the Adelaide Crow supporters. No doubt, no doubt. It's, uh, we're glad at Footy Park those days. The uh, boundary was a long way from the fence and uh, there was one ground that we were pretty happy about being way inside. I'm going to throw one more question at you because you're a forward so you'll have an answer. Best goal you've ever kicked? Oh, 99 prelim. It's, it- uh, yeah, Probably kick better better goals in terms of uh, harder goals, but um, at the moment, the, the all the you know the occasion that stands out clearly. And a moment that will forever be in the hearts of Count supporters, Lance Whitnell. You're a living legend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey lads, a guy in the community reckons we take the overs. Do we trust him? Well, his username is Big Stats Guy. Say no more. Connect with a community of like-minded punters only in Labrox communities. T's and C's apply and available on website. What are you really gambling with?